Guess we're good. <clears throat> good morning. I was here about a year ago. Yeah. And so when we were driving from the airport, and I was completely jet lagged, uh, and this, we had this conversation, I had this momentary panic like, no, he didn't ask me. And he told me this morning he looked for the email and couldn't find it. Uh, so then I just kind of went internal, and I was like, oh, God, am I supposed to do this? And I was trying to think, what could I talk on? So then I thought, oh, I could talk about that. And so I said yes. Then um, we got to their house, and I was like the walking dead. I mean, I, I can't sleep on planes, and I'd gotten up at 2 in the morning in order to get to LAX by 3, and a long connection in San Francisco, and so I just laid down, and I was starting, and I started to fall asleep, and I started to think, yeah, okay, kind of working through the things I wanted to talk about, and then I had this realization, and my eyes went open, and I thought, oh no, that was something I talked about last year when I was <laughs> here, and I had this panic, <clears throat> and then two things crossed my mind, and the first one, I think, was the Lord calming my heart, and he said, he didn't say whether I had talked about this last year, but he, he just said, even if you did, they need to hear it again, and I thought, okay, and then I thought, and this made me laugh, I thought, who would I be so presumptuous to think that you would actually remember anything I said to you a year ago, because because I know what it's like to be a preacher, and and uh, people forget things so quickly. So anyway, it's good to be here. And I want to talk about uh, a gift that God, I believe, really desires to give us and then the result of having that gift activated in our life. And it's not a gift that you... In the vineyard, when we think of gifts, we often think of you know, the list that Paul has in Romans and 1 Corinthians and you know, tongues, healings, you know, all of those things, words of knowledge. Well, the gift we're going to talk about, it, you're not going to find it in any list um, that is given in the New Testament, but it, it is a gift that God wants to give us, and it is, I believe, deeply important. And the gift that I want to talk about is the gift of self-awareness, and the result of that gift is interior freedom. One leads to the other. And um, I would say that at its core, the Christian tradition and the Christian faith is an invitation to freedom. I think God's work in our life as it deepens over time is always an invitation to greater and greater freedom in our lives. Uh, the very famous words of Jesus in uh, John chapter 8, where he says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Freedom. When, If you wanted to encapsulate the entire Old Testament under one event or one controlling theme, so if somebody ever quizzes you, what's the Old Testament about? Here's the answer. It's about an event called the Exodus. The people of Israel being brought out of slavery and into freedom. That theme carries its way through the entire Old Testament. 
and also into the New Testament and the writings of Paul. So this idea of freedom and being brought into a place of liberty, the Exodus event. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul, writing about the Spirit and the Spirit's work in our life, says that, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, this might be a little harder, there is freedom, there is liberty. And so this theme of freedom and this theme of liberty uh, is really, I, I think, at the core of what the Christian faith and the Christian tradition is about. And um, the truth is, is that we all have places, some big, some small, but we all have places in our life where we're not free. We have places of what I call unfreedom in our lives, in our interior. Now, I live in the U.S., and this is the U.K., and we are freedom-loving people. I mean, we have huge conversations going on in the U.S. right now about certain freedoms that some want to say, well, we need to cut back on that just for safety issues, and others saying, no, you can't. Do, it's just going on, and I'm sure you know about what's going on in the U.S., and uh, pray for us all. <laughs> uh, but we all have places of unfreedom in our lives, attitudes, motivations, ways of being that we kind of cling to internally as life preservers in the, in the hope of making ourselves safe and, and having a sense of control uh, about our lives and about who we are. Um, you know, we can cling to financial security. If I have financial security, everything will be okay. We can uh, cling to, some people, it's just like, I need to be right. I need to be right, I need to have the right answer. People can cling to and just feel like it is so important to me that I be liked by other people. I want other people to feel good towards me and to feel good about me. Um, the list can go on and on. Some people um, feel like I need to be the best. And some even take it to I need to be perfect. I need to do everything right. <clears throat> um, for some people, you know, tied into that is it's not an okay thing to make a mistake. To be less than doing things right all the time. Uh, uh, some people need to fulfill the expectations of others. If I can do that, then people will like me. And then I will feel okay. Um, in feeling the, you, uh, fulfilling the expectations of others, though, oftentimes what we're doing is hiding who we truly are. And so, therefore, we're not living out of our, our, out of our true self. Uh, some people have to get their own way. Now, you probably, there's nobody in this room who struggles with any of these, but you've probably heard of some people who might live this way. Um, some people hide in their insecurities. The terror of, oh my God, I think I said some of this last year was, <gasps> you know, they're going to think I don't have an original thought to say and this and that, and what if they're, you know, just out there smiling nice and going like this and thinking, now he's going to say this because I heard this all last year. 
Um, we use words and anger to protect our insecurities. And I just want, and these, I mean, we could make a long, 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 long list. But all of these are areas of unfreedom in our lives and, and in our hearts. Um, <clears throat> places where we feel vulnerable, areas of our heart that we guard and we protect. And being undefended and being vulnerable are just not our favorite things to think about. I, I was reading, uh, and this one writer said, you know, I used to think that I, if I could just get all of the weaknesses and all the, of the sinful things into my life taken care of, if I could just get those things under control, then everything would be fine and perfect and people would really like me. If I could just take care of all these weak, weak areas. And then she realized, she said, but you know what? I know that that's never going to be true. Because even if I did that, life just has a way of being unpredictable. And you can't control everything. And she went on and she said, you know, she's come to the place of feeling like her areas of weakness really are some of her greatest assets. Now that sounds like an oxymoron. Why would you say my weaknesses are my greatest assets? Well, she said, number one, it keeps me really humble. Number two, it makes me dependent on God and his grace and his mercy in my life. And the third thing she said was, you know, it really makes me, they make me more compassionate for other people. Because when I, re when I understand the weakness in my own life, there's just this sense that like builds a bridge to other people because... Yeah, they've got their stuff, but Lord knows I've got mine as well. And so she, she grew to, to really appreciate her weaknesses and the areas uh, that weren't her strong point. And so we all have places of unfreedom in our lives. And even as I'm talking about this, some of you are cataloging your own. Because I know that that's what we do. And we're not going to, you know, break into small groups and say, okay, I want you to tell your un places of unfreedom to the people around you. Um, but so we know what some of them are. But I want you to know we have areas of our life that we are totally clueless about our unfreedom. We are not aware of them. Um, and the Christian message in the gospel invites us to freedom and to interior freedom, to those places in our inner lives uh, where we aren't free. And the first step down that path to that kind of freedom, and I want you to know, experiencing that kind of freedom is the most one of the most wonderful things that God could ever grant to us. And so the first step towards that kind of freedom that I really believe that the Lord wants for us is the whole issue of self-awareness. Now, psychologists and people in the media, you know, talk about self-awareness and, and things a lot. Um, Teresa of Avila, the great 16th century mystic, said, you know, to me, a growing sense of self-awareness is more important than having a gr whole great day of prayer. He said, I would trade a great day of prayer for an experience of becoming more self-aware about who I really am on the inside. And so to have it is really, really a helpful thing. Um, now, an important step on becoming self-aware and being able to deal with 
Because sometimes when you become aware of something that you weren't before, it can be depressing. It can be discouraging. But one of the things that can help us, just in general, just as believers, is to just embrace your humanity. Embrace your personhood and the fact that you're a human being and that you are weak and that you can never do everything right and that there's always going to be a list of things that, that can be and will be difficult for you. So to just embrace your humanity, embrace who you are and what's true about you, what's actually true about you. Now, there might be things about you that you don't like. There's about things that I'm not, about me, that I'm not like totally proud about. But the truth is, they're true about me. And so embracing just what is actually true about you and about what goes on in your heart and in your life. Because God understands your humanity. He made you. And I just want to say that God is not disgusted or disturbed by your humanity. He's not. Now, don't hear me say from my lips to your ears that, well, God just thinks that everything is just totally fine with me. He knows who you are, and I just want you to know your humanity does not shock him. He's been dealing with people like us for a long, long time. And so with all of the stuff that we have in our lives, he's not like, oh, myself, I can't believe Steve thinks that way. He just never has a thought like that. Nothing I have ever done has shocked him. Nothing you have ever done has shocked him. And with all those things in place in your life and in mine, God looks at me and he looks at you and says, I absolutely love you. He would even say, you have no idea how important you are to me. Steve, you are not an afterthought in my world and in the things I'm doing. Because the truth is, it's so helpful to just accept this is who I am at this moment in my life, this Sunday, April 22nd, Jerry's birthday. Um, this is who I am. This is what's actually true about me. And there's some good things, and there's a whole pile of stuff that isn't that good. And that's the truth. And I accept that. And I want you to know that God accepts that too. Because God doesn't live and work in the land of make-believe. God works in reality. God works in what is actually true. God doesn't love people who, um, you know, as they're supposed to be. 
you know, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm supposed to da, da, da. God doesn't love people the way they're supposed to be or even the way people hope to be or think they should be. God loves people as they are. And I just want you to know that is the best news in the entire world, what I just said. God loves people as they actually are, not as they're supposed to be, not as they hope to be or they think they should be. He loves you exactly the way you are, and he loves me that way too. God doesn't love some idealized version of who Steve is or who Steve wants to be. He doesn't love an idealized version of you. And the truth is, is we all have idealized versions of ourselves. You know who God loves? He loves you who you are right now as you actually are. With all of the barriers and all of the coverings that we put on, take those all away and he looks at you and he just says, I just love you. I just love you so much. That is good news. With all of our flaws, with all of our imperfections, with all of our places of unfreedom. And some of us live with this uh, internal voice, you know, and I used to think, oh gosh, you know, people who hear voices. <gasps> Truth is, we all hear voices. We all hear voices. And some of those voices can be this voice that bemoans the past or the present. If only I hadn't, da 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 da. If only this didn't happen or I didn't make that mistake or I didn't do this or I didn't commit this sin or if I didn't have this habit and on and on. And, you know, if, if only I was gifted like Andrew, then my life would be so much better. And we bemoan what is true about our lives. I just want you to know that is a huge waste of time. It's a huge waste of time. God is not bemoaning you. Uh, but, I mean, I can hear my, my tape. I can hear what I've, I literally for decades have thought about, you know, God kind of thinking, oh, there's Steve. You know, if only Steve hadn't. If only Steve still didn't. Did it, did it, did it. You can't fill in the blank, but I can. <laughs> you know, if he would just, if he was only, those are the tapes that, those are the voices I hear. I'm just imagining, because what I've learned over all these years is that I'm relatively normal. And that things that I feel and I experience are things, as I talk to more and more people over the years, are the same things that other people talk about and hear and struggle and deal with. So I want to read you a story and I don't want you to turn in your Bible to it. I just want you to close your eyes. And if you fall asleep, that's okay. Just close your eyes, and I just want you to listen to the story. 
And I want you to imagine yourself standing watching this take place as Jesus has this encounter with this certain person. Put yourself into the scene. Live into it. And as you listen, and I'm going to read it once, and I'm going to pause and keep your eyes closed, and then I'm going to read it again. And I just want you to just pay attention to what catches your attention in the story. Uh, to use another, you know, term, kind of what shimmers for you, what, what draws your attention. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. But you know the commandments. Don't murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. And don't, do not defraud and honor your mother and father. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then, come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad. Because he had great wealth. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. And honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Okay, you can open your eyes. Did something catch your attention about the young man? Was there anything that shimmered or 
this is where you can say something. And if nobody does, I'll just keep talking, and I'd much rather hear you say something. So. Anything catch your attention? Maybe not just about the young man, but about the story. I know it's a really famous story. We've all heard it. What stood out to you? God loved him. Jesus lifted him and loved him. Anything else? Mm-hmm. He was very distraught. Somebody else. Could be. It's hard to know what's going on in his heart, but one more. When I think of this young man, and I've read this story a lot, I mean, he seems pretty zealous to me. I mean, pretty devout. I mean, he, like, he didn't walk up to Jesus. He ran up to Jesus. And he didn't just walk, run up to Jesus and say, hey, I'm so-and-so. You know, I've heard about you. He ran up to Jesus and fell on his knees. And like, what do I need to do to, you know, get inherit eternal life? I mean, so he knows what he wants to talk about. So, I mean, he's, you know, focused. Runs up, falls on it. What do I need to do? Good teacher. What do I need to do? And Jesus says, well, you know, do this, do that. You know, don't do this, don't do this. You know, honor your mother and father. And, and I don't know if you picked it up as I read it, but can't you just hear the, Teacher, I've done all that ever since I was a kid. He's so excited. He's like, maybe I'm on to something here. Maybe I really am going to inherit eternal life. And Jesus looks at him and loves him. And then... Dreadful word, or a couple words. There's one thing. There's one thing that you lack. And his place of unfreedom is exposed. I want you to know that that, I think, was the last thing he expected to hear from Jesus. You know why? I think he was totally unaware. He was totally unaware that he had this place of unfreedom in his heart. Just like we are of some areas in our life. We're totally unaware. And then Jesus says, but there's this one thing. Sell everything you have, collect the money, give it to the poor, and then come follow me.
I, I don't think, in fact, I think that in the message translation, Eugene Peterson translates it something to the effect of, and this was the last thing he ever expected Jesus to say. Now, and what was his response? He walked away. Now, was Jesus being mean? Was, was Jesus being mean? No. Jesus was doing the most loving thing he could for this young man. By saying, there is this. Because he was inviting him to freedom from that. He, it was the most loving invitation. If Jesus hadn't said that, Jesus wouldn't have been loving. But he was inviting him to a place of greater and deeper freedom than he had, this young man had ever known. And the young man was devastated because he saw something about himself he'd never seen before. And he walked away. And so how do you feel when a place of your unfreedom, a place of your vulnerability, a place of your weakness gets exposed to the light of God? You see the real... <laughs> how do I feel about that? Sometimes, for me, it's like... <gasps> And I thought nobody knew. How is it to see something about yourself that you were never aware of before? To have something be exposed, that's not a good thing. I mean, if something gets exposed, oh, you're the most kind person I've ever met, we're all, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. But, that's not a good thing to get exposed. I mean, can you feel, have you, have you ever had that experience? I mean, I can remember watershed experiences in my life, especially young, where I became aware in a group of people of something about me that I had totally missed. And it was... And I don't even know if anybody else knew, but I knew that I had totally missed the point of something. And interiorly, my insides caved. And I felt small, and I felt filled with shame and self-hatred. This was, oh God, how could you be so... And if I told you what all that was, and I'm not going to, you'd say, it's like no big deal. You were in junior high school. I want you to know it was a huge deal to me. And I'm 66 now. I'm way beyond junior high. And that has walked with me for all those years. So it can be a hard thing. But Jesus' response to this young man was the most loving thing that he could have said to him. And I want you to know, when those, when those things get exposed like that, and when the Spirit does it, 
if you hear something, I mean, even reading that story, I would just say the tone of voice you hear Jesus responding to that young man is really important for how you view God and for how you view Jesus. Now, I read it in a very, well, there's one more thing. But if the voice you hear when that kind of stuff happens to you is, there's one more thing. I'm just telling you, that's an indicator on how you image God and how you think God feels about you. I I can honestly say, in 40... Yeah, I'm old and I'm bad with numbers. Um, 45, 46, 47 years of following Jesus, I have never once had God yell at me. I have never had him... Talk to me like, I can't believe you did that. You are a never, not once. Now, some of you are thinking, well, has God ever talked to you? (laughs) Yeah, he does, but he's always kind. He's always gentle. He's always loving. And he often speaks to me in a way that is so contrary to how I'd speak to myself That's how I know it's God, because it's like, I would never think that. I remember one day in my office, this is a pastor, bemoaning my sin. Pastors have sin. And if they're like me, they at points bemoan their sin. How can I lead the people of God? And I remember sitting in my office one day and bemoaning my sin and then finally getting quiet and then sensing, just sensing, I didn't hear an audible voice. Internally, though, I sensed God say to me, Steve, you worry more about your sin than I do. I was like shocked. I thought, that can't be God. And the more I thought of it, the more I knew it was. Because I would never think that thought, ever. And that gave me a clue that I viewed God as somebody who was up there keeping track and knew all of the things that I was bemoaning and knew that they were all true and he was like this. So I've had to learn how what God is really like and I really need to um, hurry up because we need to, right? Okay. Um, But the Spirit's loving work in our lives is to make us aware of things we don't see. That's part of God's work in our lives. And there there are two responses to when you have an encounter like the young man did where God shows you something. One is, oh God, it's worse than I thought. I've got more garbage and more stuff to deal with than I ever thought there was. Now what? And to walk away. Or to say, oh God, thank you for showing me. Thank you for showing me. I want you to know that the story in Mark 10 isn't just about money. It was about money for that young man's life, but it really is just about a general idea of unfreedom in our lives. And if, you know, as God scans this room, he sees the areas of unfreedom in all of our lives, and we all have them. Um, And so it could be, oh, there's one more thing. Go and think of your life and you fill in the blank. 
it's okay. You fill in the blank for your life. So how do we respond when those things happen? Really quickly, a story that, that literally was so helpful to me. Uh, there's a guy named Jim, James Finley. Uh, he was a uh, Trappist monk for a number of years, uh, I think for about 10 years. And for most of those 10 years, he was at a, a, an abbey in Kentucky called the Abbey at Gethsemane. And his spiritual director was a man named Thomas Merton. And I don't know if you know who Thomas Merton is, but some people love him. Some people don't have good thoughts about Thomas, but he was a good man. And uh, so James Finley was talking, and the, it was a, a day conference, a day gathering, and he, the topic was mystics and the mind of Christ. And I like the mystics. I think they're really intriguing. So I went, and, and he was talking about as he, he's a spiritual director, and he was, as he would meet with people and was working with them on their uh, interior life, he said, there's a number of things that I, I really look at as markers to, that are indicators that this person is, is going deeper in their life with God, and they're growing. And I'll never forget the first one that he said. He said, the, one of the things that I look for is, do they have the ability to be tender-hearted and generous towards themselves, especially in areas of weakness and sin? to be tender-hearted towards themselves in their areas of weakness and areas of sin. To be gentle. So I just want to say, if you get nothing else out of what I've said this morning, hear these words. Be gentle and tender-hearted towards yourself in your areas of weakness and your areas of unfreedom. Be tender-hearted and gentle. Because God is. God is tender-hearted and generous towards you in all of your areas of weakness and your areas of unfreedom. So Steve, this is all great. What do you do when you become aware of something or you are aware of something and you have no idea what to do about it? Anybody ever, you know, it's like, you know, this thing's been like a traveling companion for 50 years and I still haven't, what do I do now? <clears throat> what do I, okay, I'm going to be gen gentle towards myself. I'm going to be tenderhearted. What do I do? The one thing you don't want to do, which many of you have tried to do, which I have tried to do and absolutely never works, is just try harder. I'll change this area of my life. I'm, ju I'm just not going to be that way anymore. I'm not, go I'm not going to, I'm not going to struggle with those thoughts. I'm just going to I'm going to suppress I'm just using suppress my anger. I'm going to just push down my lust. I'm going to push down all of my insecurities and just keep them in place. Has anybody ever tried the just try harder? Okay, how many of you've been successful? 
That's the response I get wherever I talk about this. It just doesn't work. You can do it for a while, but I'll tell you, you're going to start leaking at some point. It's going to just come out in the cracks of the, of the concrete. You know, you build a concrete floor to keep it underneath. Cracks are going to form and it's going to spread out. So what do we do? You take those, and, and it's not that we've never done this before, but you turn those into places of prayer and ongoing conversation with God. And you tell God, honestly, you own it. Lord, that is true of Steve. That is in my life, and I own it, and I embrace it. Not in the sense that I love it, but I embrace it in the fact that it's true. And then I follow it up and say, and I have no idea how to change that. I have no clue. Everything I've tried doesn't work, so I need your help. I think God really likes that prayer. It's honest, it's real, and you're saying you need his help. Things that God always likes to hear from you. And so use them as a place of ongoing conversation. But it starts with self-awareness. Here's how change happens. And you, you might want to write this down. This, this could be worth the whole morning. It starts with self-awareness. And from self-awareness, you move to understanding. And then when you begin to understand, then you have the opportunity to actually make a different decision down the road. But it starts with self-awareness. If self-awareness doesn't happen, nothing will ever, ever change. And so I would encourage you, ask God for the gift of self-awareness. Ask him to make yourself, make you aware of things that you don't even see now. And you might think, <gasps> that seems so scary. What if he actually did? Well, he will, especially if you ask him, and he will even if you don't ask him. So, But that's why it's so important for you to know and for me to know that when those things that are present in your life or that you don't even know are, aren't there come to light, that Jesus looks at you and he loves you. None of it is a surprise to him. And every time he shows you things, it's an invitation to, together, Steve, let's walk into freedom in this. I want to teach you how to be free from this. It's never a threat. It's always an invitation to freedom. And I just want you to know that going from self-awareness to understanding to freedom is a long, slow process. Because that's how God does most of his work, is a long, slow process. You don't have to hide. You don't have to hide anymore. And I don't know, maybe none of you do hide internally in your relationship with God. But you don't have to hide. I can say that in the last... And you would think that as old as I am and for as long as I've walked with Jesus, that this wouldn't be true. But in the last 10 to 15 years, I've finally come into a place where I feel like I don't have to hide anything from him. Nothing. It is so much fun to say, that's true about me. And now you know. And he's like, I knew it all along. 
It's more for me than it is for him. It's so freedom-giving to just be able to say, this is all true, and I always follow that up with, and I know that you love me anyway. So I hope this all makes sense. Um, you can try to pull the weeds out of your life, just grab them and pull them out, but I'll guarantee you they're going to grow back. One of the best things, and we'll end with Teresa of Avila, she said, what you do is you sit in your weeds with Jesus. You sit in your weeds. And you let the soil soak in the water of God's love. And over time, God pulls the weed out and the roots come up again. So I don't know if that visual helped. It was helpful for me. Sit in the soil and with your weeds and let the, the water of God's love soak the soil and soften it. And over time, God will help you pull them out. Let's pray. Father, um, I'm just so grateful that your love for us is relentless. As the song says, it's, it's reckless. And that it is the key to everything. I pray that in all of the words I've shared, um, that there'd be something for each one of your people who are here this morning. And that, Lord, they would, um, they would be encouraged just by the thought of just this interior freedom, freedom from those places where we're unfree. Lord, the gift and the joy of not having to hide anything. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would do what only you can do. And that you would do it in the lives of each and every one of your beloved sons and daughters. And Father, I ask this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.